Oh, hi, podcast listeners. There's many ways you can listen to The Real Nerds Podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can also subscribe on Stitcher Radio. You want to send us a Twitter message? You can do that. It's so easy, at Real Nerds. Like us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. You can visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com, where there will be a lot of articles for you to not only read, but to listen to our previous shows. Do you like your stories told through pictures? Then you can also follow us at Real Nerds on Instagram. You can also call us, 720-6Nerds5. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Camera, action! Well, a real nerd knows who shot, and a real nerd can follow the plot, and a real nerd can... Just talk film! I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Take it outside. This is Real Nerds Podcast, the best movie podcast on the internet. So much better than this one about old school Hollywood. I mean, hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that show sucks. Fuck that shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> if it's something like Yester Boar, Ballyhoo or something. Yester you Boar? Know, yeah, Bally Boar. You, should, you could have yeah. gone Boring Who or anything. Yeah, so I don't know who's in charge of that one, but fuck that show. Yeah, fuck that piece of shit. Fuck him. Definitely <laughs> uh, Ballyhoo is this podcast? <laughs> 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 Uh, I'm Ryan. I'm joined by Brad. What up? And I guess Zach's back after, you know, a long absence sans film explosion episodes. Yep, I'm back. Yeah, there was there's very few things that can pull me back out of the stress of putting together a useless Golden Age Hollywood show. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you guys were you guys were a part of it this year uh, in more ways than one. So. You guys have a lot to be proud of. You 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 contributed some killer acting chops over the airwaves, my friends. Well, I mean, you didn't put me as number one bill, so I don't really care. Well, to be fair, as of now, you know, by by the time this episode comes out, it'll already be revealed. But the whole goal was to fool people into thinking it was one show. To, and then to give them that surprise, but you would probably be first billed given the fact that you're the first correspondent, you see. No, I get first billed because it's written in my contract. Um, yeah, I signed no contract with you. <laughs> and, and well, in order for me to appear by my contract, if I'm being loaned out to other studios, is I get first bill. <laughs> Guys, don't fight. It makes me feel bad. <laughs> but yeah, uh, no. Uh, welcome back, Zach. Thank you. Uh, every week on Real Nerds Podcast, we see a new movie and we podcast our experience to the world. This week, we saw a really long one called mm. Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, stay tuned where we'll recommend the film or not, play the trailer, and then spoil a true story. Um, and then we also talk about movie news and things we've been watching. But that's what we do. We do movies. You know, mm-hmm. We're much more hip. I mean, if everyone, if they could pick a cool something, it'd be us. Yep. You, you look movies, the, all right. You look in the dictionary, there's a picture of the three of us right next to cool. I know. Like, we, well, cool at the beginning, go say temperature, mild or something. And then below that will be two slang, these really awesome guys. And then you have to go to awesome. And then when you look at awesome, we're like, you know, the third one down for that, too. Who's above us? <laughs> An awesome? Yeah. It's just, a, it's just a definition of awesome. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. And it says, to see Real Nerds Podcast. <laughs> I love I it. I heard how that's how it goes. Yep. That's how, that's how the dictionary was written. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I got nothing else. Um, yeah. Brad, yeah. How, how's your week going? Uh, fine, I guess. Yeah. No, <laughs> nothing amazing to report. Uh, it was Halloween yesterday. What you guys? What did you guys do for Halloween? Ooh! Um, when kids night. came to my door, I stole their candy and scared them away. So <laughs> nice. 
Do you pull your your sidearm on them? Like, <laughs> yeah, actually, I just shot it into the air because I didn't want to, you know, like actually hit anybody. <laughs> How accurate my costume um, is, guys! <laughs> <laughs> no, I just took my kid all over town, and uh, you know, the cool thing about where we live is the town is loves Halloween, and it's if you could pick small America, trick or treating, it's definitely where I live. And there's groups of you know twenty, thirty kids. Everybody's house has like a theme um they invite you in to have chili and stuff it's it's pretty nice so if you're looking for a fun place to go trick-or-treating idaho springs is definitely one of them very chilly hell yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. we had a good one we got to watch uh, the niece and nephew came down to my parents house so we got to take them trick-or-treating for a little bit uh mattis was darth vader and miley was uh, one of the iterations of Barbie from Barbie the movie, but she was also too enamored by a lightsaber, so she's Jedi Barbie. Is hell we yeah, to, yeah. We had to had to labor her as going forward, but yeah, no, we did that, and then we uh, we my girlfriend and I were driving down the street to go pick up stuff from King Supers to make cookies, and when we were driving the the whole our street that my parents lived on. Uh, is was not having a bunch of kids like running running around it in the middle of the street, but we took a turn on one of the streets, and the whole street from the top of it to the end before you can turn was packed to the gills with people wandering in the middle of the street, and it was like it felt like a zombie movie, and we were trying to crawl past them. <laughs> like you're just like and like and I all I could think of was that line in Halloween where they see that all the patients have been loose and I just went since when do they just let them wander around <laughs> um, but yeah we did that and then uh, we'll talk about it what we've been watching but I got to introduce my girlfriend to a uh, to a, an old favorite of this show um, and uh, along with uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and uh, showed her part of the Night of the Living Dead and she got annoyed by Barbara screaming and shouting so she's like turn that off we're watching the great pumpkin so um but yeah just made pumpkin for shame cookies. night living dead's the greatest horror movie of all time i hey yeah you know don't, don't i i made the effort i made the effort to it maybe maybe if she wasn't focused on making pumpkin cookies she probably would have been a little bit more just op- open to the experience but you gotta tell her that you know after like 15 minutes she goes comatose so you're good i i did and she's like yeah but she's still talking <laughs> like okay but you've got to give it time um, but yeah, no, but, um, the movie, the, the big one that we were trying to get her to watch, she did. And, um, I'll, I'll give a full p- report on that later. Brad, you were at the bug for horror movie trivia. Did that go well? Yeah. We had like 15 people show up, which is nice. Um, oddly enough, uh, at one point, someone who's involved with the play this weekend showed up. And so while the trivia was going on, I went back to the green room and allowed them to like load in their props. And mm-hmm. as I opened the door, like this group of kids were coming down the sidewalk and they thought, you know, it was a door to like, you know, somewhere they could <laughs> trick or treat. And fortunately for them, we actually had like a bowl of candy left over from the actual trick or treat on Navajo street in the green room. So I was just like, wow, this really looked out for you guys. So have at it. Oh, nice. So, um, yeah. And then afterwards, like once trivia was over, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a pizza and I'm going to stay here at the bug and I'm going to watch it follows. <laughs> Hell yeah. So I haven't seen that movie since it came out in theaters. So yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's almost two hours, but it flew by. Yeah. For it's a, a good movie. movie where not a lot of stuff happens. Yeah. Except for demons chasing you. Yeah. God. Yeah. That when that huge one like shows up in the house, like walks through the door. Yeah. Out of nowhere. It's good. It's a good effect. But good stuff i'm interested to see what uh they're gonna be able to do with they follows like how that premise works with that and you know the only thing i have to say is they really missed an opportunity i said years ago that the name of the sequel should be it still follows but what do i know nothing nothing way better than they follow <laughs> but enough of this jibber jabber is that a word <laughs> This week on Real Nurse Podcast, we saw Killers of the Flower Moon. Brad, do you recommend Killers of the Flower Moon? Yeah, it's a it's a good movie. Um, I don't know if it justifies its super long runtime. I feel like there's definitely a lot of stuff that probably could have gotten cut out. But what do I know about cinema, right? Yeah, I mean, you need someone to tell you that real cinema is $200 million 
dramas and not two hundred million dollar superhero movies. Yeah, um, Zach. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, I thought say, you were done, Brad. No, I was, I was going to say just um, yeah, one of the most evil things I've ever seen committed to film. Um, story wise, yeah. just uh, so tragic and yeah, yeah. Zach, do you recommend Killers of the Flower Moon? Um, I do. Uh, it's one of the best films I've seen this year. I have, uh, I have some, I, I, I guess it would be better to just talk about it in the, in the spoiler section, but I, there are elements of it that I objectively have certain issue with. Um, and objectively as an editor, I do agree. You probably could have trimmed back on this, but as a Scorsese fan, I, I just enjoyed having as much of the runtime as we did. Um, so I guess in a sense, subjectively, I just enjoyed living in that world for as long as it did to give me this full detailed story of this very tragic, uh, instance in our history. Um, and I think that the ending scene, we'll talk about it, but it's one of the most <laughs> perfectly executed, not for the reasons people think it, it has to do with what it does in subverting a very tired trope. And I will say that of movies about Native American plights made by white directors, Scorsese is 10 times better than Kevin Costner or Michael Mann. Like he just he he actually speaks an honest truth without sugarcoating it with white Western jargon. So, yeah, I recommend people go see it, whether in a theater or when it comes out to Apple TV. Just give it a shot. Uh, I, I think I lean a little more towards Brad, and I think actually Brad liked it a little more than I did. Um the the movie is really well made, of course, and I think Robert De Niro is really good at it, but it, it felt um, meandering at times, and um, especially when the opening is a really big gut punch, and um, mm. uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's well made. Um, it's hard to justify that long of a runtime, and not, but it still moves by fast enough where it didn't bother me very much mm. but like brad said i think you can definitely trim some of it um and still tell an effective story but we'll get into it um here's the trailer for killers of the flower moon you know you got you got nice color skin what color would you say that is my color Osage, they have the worst land possible, but they outsmarted everybody. The land had oil on it, black gold. Money flows freely here now. I do love that money, sir. (laughs) (laughs) This wealth should come to us. Their time is over. It's just going to be another tragedy. When this money started coming, we should have known it came with something else. They're like buzzards circling our people. We're still warriors. to kill these white men who killed my family. I need you here. I am right here. You've got to take back control of your home. I was uh, sent down from Washington, D.C. to see about these murders. See what about them? See who's doing it. The story is 
unfortunately and pathetically and sadly a part of American history where members of the Osage tribe in Oklahoma were given land as part of being relocated there. And when they did, they discovered oil, which made them extremely wealthy. Um, one of the rules they had, though, is that they had to have a white person be like a caregiver for them. And by doing that, there's also this caveat of leaving it to family members. And there's an, they, it was exploited by, um, a man they call King, played by Robert Downey, uh, Robert Downey Jr., Robert De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he could have uh, played it. <laughs> yeah, he could have. Yeah. He could have. Um, and basically it's, it's the story of how these poor people are murdered and slowly poisoned to death mm-hmm. in order to get land and money from them. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's just I will say that what's really great about Robert De Niro's character in this um, is he plays it in a way where you kind of like him at the beginning, but there's something sinister behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm familiar with the Osage murders on a surface level, so I knew who that guy was, right. and I knew he was I knew he was no good. But um, it is a great character piece where he can kind of. Um, you know, say, hey, I'm here for everybody. And you can see his machinations where he is actually manipulating these people and using them. And he disguises it in a way of being their friend and their leader of their community. There's a strange patrician vibe about him where he's he, like you said, he's he's well he's well loved by the community and he's playing. He gets to do something that Joe Pesci got to do in The Irishman, which is play against what you're expecting. Because if you see Robert De Niro in a Martin Scorsese movie, you're expecting something. And he gives you this totally immersed performance of a Western villain, essentially, like the greedy land grubber. And it just, it's, it's such a soft menace in a lot of places. Like he is not, there's only a few times where he's screaming and shouting. And one of them is after he gives Leonardo DiCaprio's character a good paddling on the butt. Um, but it's, it's unnerving up to the very end to listen to him speak because he's still trying to, to weave or web together some kind of way to keep his nephew ensnared in his, in his grasp. It's a very, very striking performance. I don't think it's like, it's not the kind of performance that's going to get him an award or anything, but I think it's like one of the best roles he's had in a long, long time. Uh, Brad, what were your first impressions of the film? Uh, my first impression was like, hello, this is like The Departed, but for <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Osage uh, story. Um, yeah, there's like, a, you know, for all the talk about it being like this uh, you know, platform for like Osage actors, um, it, like I didn't feel like it really was. You know, they get a lot of passive roles and obviously mm-hmm. all the white characters get the most interesting um active roles and uh you know lily gladstone mm. i think half the movie she's just set gets to sit in bed and like look sick yeah that was a problem i had with yeah. the film is i wish she was given it if you're going to be that long my argument would be you got to fill more screen time with her and from her perspective in the bed or out and about whatever it is but i i sort of get why he does what he does i'll I'll mention in a second but i I get why he does it but yeah i agree she should have had more screen time and it seems like those moments are just like excuses to break up the you know something to cut away to so we can like pass time or something Mm -hmm. between scenes from the other stuff so that's that was kind of disappointing Mm -hmm. yeah Um, uh, i'm gonna just piggyback off you really quick brad i i agree because i mean there's this is where I mean where they can trim this movie. And again, the performances are all really good, mm-hmm. but I didn't need, you know, seven, eight scenes of her in bed, um, getting a shot where he's, you know, just telling her what's going on. And it, it, there's not too much dialogue. And my biggest problem with her character is not necessarily her, her role, but I, I, I didn't, um, since we're in spoilers, I didn't like that one this part isn't really true to the story but where she only decided that you know um Ernest was not a good man and when he found out when she found 
out that he was given her arsenic and poisoning her. Not the fact that he arranged that her sister get shot and that he blew up her other arranged to get her other sister blown up. Yeah. Um mm. like that I had a really big issue with with that characterization of her where oh this is where it really this is I'm gonna be with you even though you've killed my whole family. Um mm. or facilitated it, it, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's just that that part I, I think that she was so thinly written and the actress in the film is really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just a missed opportunity. I don't think anybody in the right mind would stay with someone who is directly responsible for murdering their family. Yeah. There's a, there's an issue in that department. And I, I think that <clears throat> frankly, like, like, no, don't get me wrong. I like the way she confronts him at that final scene, but yeah, it needs to be, she needs to be a little bit more pissed off earlier on, let alone throughout. Um, yeah, and then I, the, I, yeah. So one more thing, I like the whole no, conviction. No, yeah. The whole conviction process felt drawn out, drawn out too, because I was like, you know, we already saw, like, we know who did it, and it just feels like we're just watching mm-hmm. scenes of them coming to terms with it. And I don't know if like I needed all those details. Like, I wonder if that is the result of how they overhauled the script, but wanted to keep the FBI thread intact because this script was supposed to be an FBI procedural. Until uh, Leonardo DiCaprio w- basically went to Scorsese and said, "Why? Why, are, why is it from this perspective, and why is it not from the community's perspective?" And so they flipped the script. The one thing that they do that it's one of the reasons why I don't get entirely angry about the way they kind of subvert the expectation of it being a great Osage Native American platform film is that it does something in a Western that I appreciate having gone through a lot of John Ford and John Wayne and other Westerns from that era that Scorsese admires is that there's a, there's a tendency with a lot of his films to find empathy or sympathy with the most relatable character in the room, which usually will be a cis white male. And what I appreciate is that this movie gives no viewer ever watching this film, an excuse to empathize or sympathize with any of these cis white males on screen because from moment one they are out to destroy this community and in a certain sense it's a nice subversion of a trope where this is a genre where people will think that john wayne in the searchers is a hero where he's not he's a horrible human being and i do appreciate that this perspective allows for no excuses in terms of who you're supposed to side on with this story i understand though why it's flawed and yeah it definitely needs trimming if that's going to be your focus. Yeah. And when I say like, you know, uh, the Osage don't get the best roles, like the the opposite would be that they'd have to play the villain roles. But in this kind of story, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be much better. Cause then you'd be like, Oh, well you made them all the bad guys. And yeah. And in a certain sense, I guess it's in a, in the long run, it's probably better that he didn't try to, th- uh, he and Eric Roth didn't try to think that they could write osage material with them not being native writers like so like it's that that's that's a thing where i'm like okay they at least knew a boundary that they shouldn't have crossed because if they tried to insinuate knowing anything about an indigenous indigenous experience it would not be uh it it wouldn't feel authentic and there would be complaint over that as well so i think they kind of took the route that they could and frankly as much as that is an issue that this isn't strictly from an indigenous perspective I feel like Hollywood was never going to give any proper prop up for this kind of adaptation of a story without somebody like Scorsese championing it. I think they would have, they wouldn't have given it a second thought at that point, unfortunately. So I mean, I'll I'll play devil's advocate. I don't think you can tell it from the Osage's point of view, really, because unfortunately they're the victims here. I was going to say they're the victims no matter what, because it's a historical story. So you can't be like, Oh, we're going to change this a lot. Yeah. No, yeah, no. so yeah. unfortunately, they're gonna because of the situation in the in the whole scheme of stuff. Right. The whole scheme is they can't because th- they didn't do anything wrong. Mm. So you can't retell the story to make them, you know, have different characters or whatever. Because I mean, what is their big thing that they did? They entrusted people to help them, and they were taken advantage of. 
I feel like so, if you if you do that and it turns into a horror movie and not a historical drama, which is an interesting. Thing yeah, to think I mean, about. I, I think you could say it's a horror movie because you know, well, yeah, it I, is a I, horror I, movie too. I, I will, like, yeah. I will say, uh, probably my favorite scene is I think back and I look at the whole film is actually the first scene with uh, De Niro and uh, DiCaprio together mm-hmm. because De Niro is prodding him for information to set him up to marry an Osage woman. Yeah. And it really, when you go back and look at the movie as a whole, it's really cunning and conniving and, you know, frankly, pretty like disgusting because he's looking at what he likes. And then he's like, Oh, you can be, you know, a cab driver. And then he just happens to stumble upon this woman. Mm-hmm. And even though, you know, Leo says, no, I, I found her on my own. There, mm-hmm. He, he doesn't know that, but it's not a hundred percent true. He's he's because um, pl- he's playing it. He's playing a simpleton essentially. Like, yeah, he, I mean, he's he's stupid. He, yeah. he doesn't. He, he's obviously gets easily manipulated. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's also problems I had. So the FBI is going to let him go back to his home and talk to his uncle, and they're going to put him next to each other in a jail cell so he can figure out this defense. There's I wonder if that's, that's got to be just logistics though for making a movie because like I've I, I haven't know, gotten but, yeah yeah sorry. But also, it, it like, sucks. early 1900s, I don't know if they were, like, as serious about that Maybe. kind of stuff. Yeah. I know, but it still sucks you out of the movie, you know? I, I It just seems, I don't know, that, I don't know. It just seems too convenient. And, and then, you know, there's a part where uh, he's being escorted back to jail after um, he decides he's going to flip again and, you know, testify against his uncle and there's a, a an officer walking him back or an fbi agent and then he talks to you know de niro for i don't know 10 minutes and then that guy's just gone <laughs> what the fuck is this hmm. there's a <laughs> there is little things only, that bothered me i've only gotten halfway through the audiobook of uh david grant's book that the movie's based on it seems like and this is this is an in, an interesting part of why why it's weird that they go down the route that they do from the point of view that they do is of all the people involved in that case, from what I've read and from what I've listened to thus far on the audiobook, is that Ernest Burkhardt is, is somebody we have like a, a pretty much the least amount of information about unless it pertains to his marriage to Molly. And yeah. so, and as a result, I feel like they're trying to flesh something out for the Burkhardt character that in turn has to lead to some coincidental blocking and adaptations. So I understand what you're saying. It's 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 convenient, and I think it's unfortunately designed because it's a character you do want to examine of like why would you do this to somebody that you claim to love? But at the same time, they have to wrestle with like, well, we don't have he never wrote a diary. We have nothing like yada yada. yada. But they also, I mean, the movie glossed over that he actually was convicted of killing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, her sister and that guy in the house that blew up. Yeah, they do it at the end, which we can talk about whenever we're ready. But I, <laughs> I, I, I think that, uh, like there was some scenes in the movie that I felt were in terms of, I know that there's been discussion about like the whole $200 million price tag on this thing. And I thought a good chunk of that might have been actor salaries and other elements involved but i i'm watching the film two times now i get it it's it's in building those physicalized sets and i i i know that that's a big price tag for a drama but i'm i'm happy that it got made with that price tag from the simple perspective of watching him play with period detail and playing with that visual acumen and aesthetic i think really the only true cgi shots in the movie are the, the like blood. the landscape well, the landscape, oh, that and the landscape, though, of the oil derricks, um, the like the wide vista shots and whatnot, and everything else seems to be on a more practical scale. Um, so like, yeah, it, but, it's but nice but to look it, at that detail. My, my issue with him in this price tag isn't the price tag, it's he degrades films because of their price tag, because of what they are, and he's he's no better because he's sitting mm-hmm. there saying that, you know marvel dc whatever the is the death of cinema i i would argue that his 200 million dollars straight to streaming uh movies are the death of cinema Mm. because 
the only way he's going to get that movie made and the way he wants it to get made is if he goes to Apple or he goes to Netflix for the Irishman, mm-hmm. because they're the only ones who are going to put that up. You can't, you, you can't, you, he's talking out of both sides. And I'm not I, saying that yeah. he, the, the film doesn't look great or it doesn't deserve whatever. If he's able to get that money and he puts it on screen, that, you know, good for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, I just take issue with you can't you can't say stuff like that because then people are going to attack you and then you say that they're ruining cinema but i think you putting a 200 million dollar movie in limited engagement then putting it on streaming is way more harmful than a superhero movie i mean yeah and i and i have my own like i have my own complicated opinion about the more recent the very recent statements he's made not necessarily the ones back with the irishman and whatnot but the one thing that i don't agree with is the way he's been creating tribes with that statement because you just you, it's not smart to create tribes in film land because all that does is just is just it, all that does is cripple the mission of seeing a movie in a theater period yeah and you think, can have yeah. you can have room for both you just tell a good story and yeah here's the thing the movie is good mm-hmm. but you, you know I, I mean i guess i i had an issue with the end of the movie because mm-hmm. It, it's not that it's a radio play and I get what it's saying, mm-hmm. but it was putting himself in that cameo to say those words mm-hmm. makes it uh, lose the impact. And it's eye rolling to me. I, I, I'm on the opposite camp, but I get, I understand objectively why, why somebody would come away with that thought. Um, my, my take on it was number one, I appreciated that scene over just a bunch of blank text that says, oh, the Osage murders were blah, 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 blah. Never mentioned again. What it did for me, and I think part of it is you have, it's not about the radio play aesthetic. It's about knowing what radio history was back then. And for context for the audience listening to this right now, the only other time that this story is talked about in film is in a brief section of the FBI story starring James Stewart. In a brief section, mind you. and. What those radio plays back then were doing with true life stories or FBI stories like that, where they're adapting a true story, is that they are, you know, digestible pieces of content for a hungry listening audience. And what was very shocking to me as a fan of that medium and watching that scene was realizing that with the exception of that one brief stint mentioned in the FBI story. This story that we have watched unfold was reduced to nothing but an anecdote throughout a good chunk of the last hit parts of the 20th century and did not receive the outrage that it deserved over time. Now, part of that's because we our respect for indigenous people was not that glowing or thrilling up until maybe this current century but it to me felt like an a damning indictment of how we've treated this kind of story of injustice and it's no different than people learning over the last 5 to 7 years about the uh the incident in Tulsa and they keep mentioning that in the film too and i one of my issues is that they shouldn't weave in Tulsa too much because you're you're kind of relegating that to nothing whereas I would love for somebody to make a movie about Tulsa and why it's an important moment in our history uh so I feel like what it does is it gets across the point of not just what happened after the fact but it also manages to tell people like do you understand that this has been nothing but a relegated portion of our history reduced to nothing but digestible content and anecdote on a true crime radio show. Um, but yeah, I get, no, there's, I don't have a problem with that part. I'm talking about the Scorsese cameo. I like, think that that's just a decision you make. I mean, I think you could have gotten Larry Fessenden to say that those words, honestly, because Larry Fessenden's in this movie and everybody just wants to talk about Jack White being in that scene. And I'm like, Larry Fessenden's in a Scorsese movie. This is really cool. Um, I get it though. Yeah. It's a little self-serving. I, I understand. And he's, he's got two other audio cameos throughout the movie as well. So he's kind of all over the map on this film. <laughs> Brad, Brad, be our, be our, uh, tiebreaker here. What, what, what do you think? I mean, I, I, I agree with the, uh, I'm, I'm, that, that was a nice way to do the, you know, the epilogue 
text on black uh, as a like as I watched it, like as soon as it happened, I was like, oh, my God, Zach's just going to cream himself over this scene. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, <laughs> as far as like who's doing it, I, I didn't care. Like, it's like, oh, that's Scorsese. And he's a little stilted. Um, but, you know, he's 80. He's earned it and do whatever he wants. But it's, the concept of it, though, that I appreciated that I was like, cool. It's not just a text on screen. Well, you're both thing. wrong. Scorsese doing the last part takes you out of the movie because it's distracting. <laughs> okay. Fair You're right. Enough. I did think about him being in the role for a couple of seconds and I wasn't focusing on what he was saying. So Yeah. Just put just put an actor there. The first time I saw it, I was a little taken out. The second when I saw it the second time with my folks, I I was far more appreciative of, of him doing that as a director. And it's almost I for me, I looked at it as like in in a weird way, it feels like him admitting like, look, maybe I shouldn't have been telling this story, but here it is. So deal with it. Like, I don't know, but it, it, it's definitely like a can it, it's a cameo that's not needed, but it's almost like, who else do you get to do that? Like, do you have Jack White's cameo extended to that portion or Larry Fessenden well, or, I mean, what, you don't have to have anybody distracting, just have the dudes who are in the play. Actually, in a weird way, that would make it even more damning of what the story had become to people at that point. Like just to have some random person mentioning it out. It's nobody of any significance to the story we've just been watching. That would have been far more interesting. Yeah, I, 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 I can see that. I think if you didn't have any famous people in there, you would be focused on what they're actually saying. So yeah. mm, it, yeah. it is a mistake to put Jack White and Scorsese in there. Right. Yeah. Not Larry Fessenden, though. Larry Fessenden could go wherever he wants. I don't care. I don't know yeah, who that, that was. That was so. only my big issue with the ending. I didn't have a problem with like what was said or how it was presented because it's more mm. interesting than you know Ernest yeah. came home and lived in a mice infested trailer with his brother <laughs> like that's fine I think it's yeah. creative but I came here to watch a movie I didn't come here to read <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but but the actual final final shot of the pullout to the ceremony <laughs> today is uh, uh, very, uh, a very nice way to like cap it off truly like that's a good final shot um uh yeah it's like i said it's it's i have issues with it but i for for me what i was looking out of it as a scorsese fan i got everything i wanted like i can't completely complain but i i agree objectively and as an editor i'm looking at it going like i tighten up here i tighten up here but i'm also not film a schoonmacher so who am i to really judge um you know like that that that's the part of me is like as a fan i want more of it it's like when people want a three-hour avengers movie i get it i want all the content i can get i do also understand how those things need to be trimmed down like as much as i love the irishman i objectively see where you can trim that to a three-hour film and not three and a half hours um but i get it yeah because i'm right yeah <laughs> also yeah when, you know you never see the first sister's death like you uh on screen and until the very end when they recap it mm-hmm. just like i don't know if i needed to actually like i feel like it's more powerful that we never saw it and then it feels like just showing me what i imagined anyway mm-hmm. so yeah. it's like that could have been shortened yeah here comes a big question because this seems to be a controversy over the internet is brendan Fraser any good in this movie <laughs> uh- I mean, he's he's fine in his role. I mean, yeah. Some, thank you, thank you. <laughs> like, like good old boy lawyer that who I expect to be a bad guy. So yeah, he plays it well. Yeah, exactly. So shut up, internet. He's not being hammy. He's doing exactly what the role asked him to do. <laughs> yep. Yep. And that's Killers of the Flower Moon. <laughs> Next so week we'll be. <laughs> 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 uh, Here's the big movie news of the week. It's real news. No, no I don't. I ain't got anything. <laughs> uh, I keep on. I mean, the big thing is they keep on shifting release dates because of the strike, and um, and I, you know, I, I'm grappling with what's offensive and what's not anymore. So in the new snow white live action film that they have coming out, they don't want to cast little people as dwarves because, you know, it could look bad. So instead of giving those, uh, people roles, they make completely CGI models of the dwarves. <laughs> Understand what's going I, on. Yeah. That, that has me a little puzzled too. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, so we're going to just erase little people? That's not That's cool. what I mean. Like, isn't it better to have them in the movie? Because you're I not guess, making fun I, of them, right? No, but I guess the I guess the question comes up is 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 it is it engaging in a stereotype? Like I see both elements of this and like I don't know, like I saw the photograph. But what, it, one of them sleepy? I mean, I <laughs> No, no, it, it's more I, that, I get that it, Yeah. But but I mean, you, you but you're still taking jobs away from hardworking actors. That's yeah, that's the other element that I see, which is this like, okay, yes, Peter Dinklage has an opinion on it and I fully respect his opinion on that story being retold and how it's just not a momentous move forward for little people actors. But because, I also I mean, understand, but I also understand it, how little people actors would like work too, you know? Yeah. Is it more offensive to have like a normie be in a green suit and then make them a, a dwarf? I mean, I don't know. They're I, doing that I, in Wonka. <laughs> it's got, that, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Like wh- wh- where's the line drawn? I, it, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around this. Cause I would rather see like, you know, Warwick Davis as grumpy. You know what I mean? I, uh, I have a I have a third opinion, which is why the fuck are they remaking Snow White when they can make an original <laughs> piece of material? It doesn't make sense, especially yeah, after Pinocchio proved that you guys don't have a handle on this anymore. <laughs> I mean, back, you know, back when the first Snow White came out, I'm sure there was someone saying, like, why are they even adapting this book? Like, it was perfect as a book. <laughs> I don't understand why they yeah. have book. <laughs> no, the, 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 the big complaint was why is he spending over, close to a million dollars to make a movie? <laughs> this is fucking crazy. Um, yeah, no, I, I, to be honest, like, and this is, you know, I, I know, isn't this one supposed to go to theatrical, Brian, or is this a yeah. straight to, uh, yeah, not till next year, like my mission impossible. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a question about that too, but I'll just say that like, f- see, this is the thing that like, this is the part of the Scorsese thing that I do think is like, okay, instead of making a, an, a, a bunch of IP material like Snow White, which people are going to barely go to, make a new story, put that into theaters and give it a chance to thrive. And I don't think that a remake of Snow White is what anybody was asking for, especially like I don't agree with the son of David Hand, the director of the first Snow White, being mean to Rachel Zegler. But I also understand of like, you know, that first Snow White's amazing because it's an achievement in animation. And to just make another live action movie of it just seems kind of disingenuous. It's similar to Pinocchio. I'm just like, I don't need you to remake Pinocchio. The first, the one we got is great. <laughs> you know, like we don't just, just push that a little harder on your streaming platform. That's also getting rid of things like Willow. Like, you remake, know, like remake, remake it, but find it find its own style and voice like yeah 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 totally. yeah, yeah if you're gonna oh, yeah that's where the other disney ones have been kind of boring because you go and you're like oh this is just a realistic looking version of the existing thing i already already saw so mm-hmm. it's not like it's not that much of a improvement it's just like oh there's more detail cool and i <laughs> and i highly doubt that it's in entrancing in, in the interests of a younger audience whereas you could show them a cartoon or an animated feature, whatever you want to designate it as, and get a better effect out of it, a better result. It'll entertain them more than watching a live-action version of the same thing. Just but, because the Jungle Book is good, it doesn't mean you had to keep doing that formula all over again. That's just, but from a business business perspective, like it still brings people out. I mean, the you know th- we panned the Little Mermaid, but it still is like the third highest-grossing movie of the year. So yeah. But that's also coming in a year where Disney's below expectations, I think is. Yeah. yeah. Something around that. Yeah. Again, it's about like they're, they're still not making the money that they need to make. Like I think the Iger says Doing way better uh, than everyone else though. They are, but they're, they're, they're not hitting the goals that Iger wants, which I really don't care what Iger thinks. Cause he's just one of many billionaires not wanting to pay actors. So I don't care. But uh, it's Igor. <laughs> oh, oh, he's a, he's a hunchback henchman. Cool. That's why I figured he was the whole time. But hey, what about the what, what do you feel about the Ryan, the cha- name change on Mission Impossible? That I I'm a little what, puzzled what? by that decision. They're changing the name of Mission Impossible eight from Dead Reckoning Part two to just something else now. And I don't understand why they're doing that so the steelbook i just got says dead De- reckoning part one and there's no part two one now <laughs> that, that no. that's that's the that's the thing that i don't understand is like you've already made a decision to make this a part one part two what is stopping you from going through with that yeah that's well, okay i mean at first i was like 
you know, I got the steel book and I thought to myself, man, by the time the other movie comes out, Best Buy won't have steel books. So I have seven Mission Impossible movies that have steel books and the next one won't have that option. What am I going to do? But uh, now it's going to no, have a completely be, different you'll, name. You'll, you'll be okay because Paramount's already putting steel books on Amazon already. Like the screen movies. I got those steel books from Amazon. Yeah, and I think all Halloween H2O just got a steel book from them as well. Yeah. Yeah. But, so they're but, they're yeah. just moving to um them. So yeah. But, no, but, I I think I think but I like the new name. It's called Kami Crusher. So I'm down. Really? No. He's fighting Russians. Um I don't know anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just it just it's kind of weird because it's just like you committed to this now for like what four years since this thing has been in production and now you're just suddenly gonna shift things around. I'm like, no. I'm sorry guys, just pick a lane. Pick pick the lane you or drive on the lane you've already been driving on anyway. It's not it's I, look, I don't know how well it did compared to other ones, but it seems like it still made a good chunk of money chunk of money enough to keep you guys in good stead with the Mission Impossible fandom. Yeah, know. it did average, yeah. but not well for the know, price Barbie tag. Oppenheimer kind of stole its thunder, so yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess yeah, I could see like changing the name will make people think it's a completely new movie if they like weren't blown away by the first one. Yeah, I actually read an interesting take on why. I mean, it still made a lot of money, but why it didn't make as much is that they spent too much time um, spoiling the stunts. Oh yeah, that. Oh, yeah, it'd be better. The best if, stunt is in the trailer. Yeah, so it'd be better if they just kept it more under wraps with the stunts. And I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. But I, I get why they highlight it because they're super cool. And it's um, like the second train finale in a Mission Impossible movie. Yeah, but the part where he's climbing up the train while it's falling off the edge is incredible. Yeah, but if you think of it as like a larger two-part story, it's like okay, this is like you know um, an homage to what was. Done- been done before but better and then the second half is going to give you the new good stuff and now apparently yeah. that's just going to look like a whole new movie at this point <laughs> well thirty uh-huh. shot 80 percent of it so yeah. no i mean it's already done but like they're going to market it's like hey we made another mission impossible movie yeah hopefully six months from now like you'll have a, me- a little bit of memory loss and think like oh i'm, I'm getting something <laughs> completely new and mm-hmm. yeah yeah you didn't see know, that other one in the theater so you're not going to know <laughs> Hey, we watch through the thing throughout the week. I call it what we've been watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Zach, tell tell uh, me something you've watched this week. Well, I'll, I'll we've all seen this movie before, but my girlfriend had never seen it. So, for context, my girlfriend likes horror movies, but she's not she's not into every one of them. And one of the things that she has declared up and down that she will never watch Evil Dead or Evil Dead 2 or the Evil Dead remake or Evil Dead Rise. The but fuck? I, but I, she she has she she has a, a comfort issue with the level of intensity that those movies can provide. And like especially with the Evil Dead remake and Evil Dead Rise, I would not unless she asked me to show them to her, I would not go down that route because they're intense. I think you would agree with that, Ryan. Oh, um, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of like um, big cartoons. I guess she has a problem with cartoons. But, well, they, I think it's the... In, I, there's a level of intensity to it that if you remove being a horror fan and just I mean, watch I don't understand face. why someone is uncomfortable when a demon says, come down here so I can taste that pussy, and then cuts her <laughs> tongue with a razor. I mean... I think Gosh. you, I think you just explained it, <laughs> but, but, but she did, but I did manage to say, okay, well, there's this other film, Army of Darkness, that is an Evil yeah. Dead movie, but lots of fun and less bloody. So we sat down and watched that. And I needed to make sure she at least was paying full, full attention to the first five minutes because it gives her an up to speed of why Ash is back in medieval times. You just need to know that sort of like on a base level. Once the movie started unfolding, I think she was taken aback by it was set in medieval times, even though I had told her it that's when it takes place. Uh, and but as soon as Ash said the whole, well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants, she was taken aback and giggling. And I'm like, yeah, he's an idiot. You have to understand that Ash Williams is an idiot. He's only good at fighting deadites and nothing else. And the final review from her, Ryan, 
she enjoyed it. She gives it a four out of five. Nice. But she said that, yeah, Ash is funny, but he's also just annoying at times. And I'm like, that's the point of the character. Bullshit. Erroneous. <laughs> Erroneous on both accounts. I, that is she, a five-star movie, and Ash is a god. She, she, uh, she, like, the, the whole, when she, when, uh, when, um, uh, God, what's the name of the maid character that he's, uh, uh, enamored with for a minute? Uh, uh Sheila? Sheila, yeah, <laughs> Sheila, yeah. Sheila, when Sheila slaps him, she was like, yeah, go girl. And then the whole give me some sugar baby happened and she, her jaw dropped. And I'm like, yeah, he's a, he's an idiot and sort of a misogynist. So you just kind of have to. You have to understand that the everything uh, bad that happens to Ash needs to happen to him. <laughs> Zach, you left out the most important part that he is sexy and irresistible to women is why that is that is true. Um, not that he's a misogynist. Gee, many Christmas. I mean, he well, he saved her life, and even after she got real ugly, I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she also. <laughs> you know what she really liked though too was we had watched Nightmare Before Christmas um, earlier in the day. So it was kind of fitting to wrap up on a film that has really great stop motion. And she was, she, she was very impressed by how some of the shots were bleeding in. And like part of the thing with Scream Factory's restorations is you can see where the effects plates are separate from the main plate. Um, so there were some times where she was like, Oh, that doesn't look realistic. But then when the skeletons are on the descent in the march, like she was very impressed by those visual effects and how, how goofy it got with the characters though she was she was very shocked though by the shot of the skeleton using a femur bone as a flute <laughs> she was like what is going on and i was like fun things that's what's going on amazing things um so yeah i showed her the theatrical cut though because i was like you know it's, it's a probably easier to get through <laughs> yeah and 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 also like it the ending is a little bit more absolute whereas the director's cut has the whole he's not he doesn't make it back to s smart thing so uh that that i think ended up being a better uh viewing experience for her but she enjoyed it yeah so like she'll she'll probably never want to sit down with an evil dead movie at all but this is one that i could show her and Blast she'd be me. more than fine Blast with it. it's okay ryan i'm i still love evil dead and evil dead rise <laughs> is going to be on my film explosion list come hill or high water so nice yeah. brad uh yeah, I don't know if I have a good one to talk about. Like I watched a lot of stuff, but none of it was like, oh, I gotta tell people about I saw that. Um, I'm surprised you're not gonna eulogize uh, Matthew Perry in the news. Uh, we did that last week. Did we? Yeah. God, this this whole system is so out of whack. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I'll do it again. Uh, I, I was thinking as um. Throughout the week, because I love friends and Brad knows this because Brad's known me for fuck almost 30 years. Um, I would record the shows on VHS and I was thinking, you know, my favorite Chandler moment. And to me, it combines two things I love. And it's a great episode. It's called the one where no one's ready. And it's a bottle episode. It only takes place in Monica's apartment. And, um, they're trying to go to this fundraiser and. Chandler is sitting and he just tells the group, he says, you know, Donald Duck never wore pants, but when he gets out of a shower, he wraps a towel around his waist. I mean, what's that about? And to me, I think that's my favorite Chandler line. And um, it always made me think, I was like, yeah, why does he wear a towel around his waist? Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my my girlfriend's a huge Friends fan, so when that news broke, she her heart was crushed. Um, yep, mine too. And I'll say that like, and I like Friends too. So this there was a it was a different blow on, on a different level for me too. But also his addiction issues. Um, they, they haven't revealed yet what fully got him to drown. Did he? Like, did they? Uh, no. My guess is, uh, I mean, you can read that law enforcement um, didn't find anything and. By the time they got there, he's he already passed. So, um, wonder I mean, if he wonder if he had a heart attack and that's how it drowned. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's sad. Yeah, it is sad. But yeah, no, I like it's and it's not even just friends. I really liked. Uh, he did a pilot. I think it was like Mr. Sunshine or something like that. Like that mm-hmm. was that that uh, clerk cinematographer Dave Klein shot that was really good. And I like the whole nine yards and the whole ten yards. They're really hey, fun hey, movies. Yeah, they're, fun. He's, yeah, they're he's a lot of fun in them. I've still never seen seen uh. 
the movie he did with Selma Hayek, though. Um, uh, my uh, my wife and I love that movie. It's called Only Fools Rush In. Yeah, it's yeah, I still need like to see a, that. A cheesy romantic comedy, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, but yeah, R.I.P. Matthew Perry. <laughs> um, well, since Brad didn't watch anything, a note. Um, I watched Mickey Mouse Trick or Treats, where Mickey and the gang get turned into monsters because they played a trick on a witch. Ooh, okay. So they, who turns into what monster? Um, well, Daisy turned into a princess because they turned into whatever costume they had for Halloween. Oh, uh, okay. So, so Donald Duck was a frog. Um, but it's they use this cool stop motion animation that they use for their Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really light and it's fun and it's stupid. Um, for an adult like me to like it, but it was cute <laughs> and um. Yeah, but then we just watched the normal Halloween staples. Um, my wife forces me to watch Hocus Pocus and The Nightmare Before Christmas. So nice. Um, nothing fun to report. I'm still playing Spider Man and Mortal Kombat and Mario Wonder. Wonderful things. Wonderful. I like to hear that. I mean, I can yep. talk about the two Jakes or Cutthroat Island or the <laughs> Doctor Moreau if you want, <laughs> <laughs> or Deep Impact. <laughs> Or the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> I think you talked about Phantom of the Opera last week, Brad. Did I? Yep. Well, I can't. I guess it was like, yeah, time just doesn't make sense anymore. <laughs> it's I always saw, been an illusion. I saw Seed Biscuit for the first time. You were right. It's great. It was on your film explosion <laughs> list. Yep. Yep. Damn right it is. Yeah. I'm glad you like Seed Biscuit. Good. <laughs> My back. My back. <laughs> He's blind in one eye. He lied to us. <laughs> you don't just throw something away if it's not, you know. Yeah, you it's know, not perfect. It, you know, the one thing about that film that still that that has like it, I will I I defended it on the um, film explosion, but I, I can acquiesce to this. When you watch that movie years later and realize half of it's an American experience documentary by the way it's narrated. It's a little jarring at first. Cause you're like, Oh, did I turn on PBS on accident? Um, but I, I mean, I like the way it's done, but like on, on a surface level, I could be like, Oh, that's an interesting way to start and uh, continue your story. But okay. Which actually, more movies did that? <laughs> actually, I did, I did have a question uh, at the end. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Banks is like telling uh, Jeff Bridges, like, Hey, you should let him, uh, you should let him ride because I know you're you're upset about your son, but you know you, you gotta like take let loose the reins and everything. Let him let him do it. And then she's at the stable, like not watching the race. Um, and then she decides to watch the race, and so she runs out to the parking lot and then watches from the car. I'm just like, why was she there? Like, why wouldn't she just be like arm in arm with him, with her husband? Because she was the one who was like advocating that he go. Mm. But she stayed behind the stable to not watch it initially. You know, I need to rewatch the film, but yeah, that's a fair point. Like, yeah. why, why isn't she just go like, I'll be here by your side while the races run? Yeah, she's like, yeah, you should let him do it. Just let him do it. And then it cuts to the race <laughs> and she's at the at the barn, like feeding a horse and just looks like she's like, I can't watch this. I can't watch this. And then she decides to. And then, yeah, she runs out of the parking lot, and, like stands on a car to watch the rest of it. And it's like, I don't understand why you. You were the one who was advocating for everyone to go watch it. Why are you staying behind? Maybe she's feeding the horse thinking, I'm going to be Betty Brant for two more movies. God, <laughs> if only Judd Apatow would save me. Sam Raimi want, wants me on a set these days, and I can't be at the at the uh, Jeff Bridges uh, race. <laughs> the, uh, the, 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 uh, the stands shoot that day. So Sam Raimi had her under a Hitchcock personal contract. <laughs> Yeah, we couldn't just have her disappear from the movie, so we just shot separate scenes of her <laughs> going up late. So Sam Raimi goes directed him. like, oh, fuck, we forgot to put her in the scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number three is missing from the call sheet. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I love this fake making of Seabiscuit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next week we're seeing the killing, um, mm. the killer, the killer. I mean, um, the, kill- the killing is a Stanley Kubrick movie. It is. And it's actually really good. Um, it is. It's fantastic. We should be watching big shark, but whatever, whatever <laughs> you and your schedule. 
You got to get him to watch The Room before he'll watch Big Shark. That's the you've got to give him the entry movie. I know if he sees Big Shark on a uh, like at the last Friday of the month and not the uh The Room first. Yeah, that is pretty messed up. That's the wrong way to go about this with Tommy Wiseau. You have to start from the beginning of his filmography. Um so yeah, so after that, the following week is The Marvels. And then after that will be Film Explosion 2013. So start thinking about your lists. Whoop, um, whoop. How many more film explosions do we have to do this year? Oh, God. <laughs> that I know, but I've started making it. Yeah. The year end one. I know. I'm just like, it feels like we've done so many film explosions this year, like more than average, but it's the same amount. I get it. Get, stay tuned for <laughs> next year because the SAG strike, even if it ends tomorrow, you're still going to see a delay. So. Yeah. Hold on to your butts. Yeah. Buckle up. Until next time, catch Zach at the yesteryear. Ballyhoo review. Yay! You can yeah. get it anywhere you get podcasts. And you can and, uh and and here's the tease guys. Now it's already been revealed. Listen to the War of the Worlds episode featuring Mr. Bradley Haig and Mr. Ryan Frost in acting roles. Yes. Yes. And we will see you at the movies. Bye. Thanks for listening to Real Nerds Podcast, a Nebulous Visions production. Stream or download episodes, read articles at realnerdspodcast.com. Stream us on Apple or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. Follow us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. Twitter and Instagram, at Real Nerds. Watch us on YouTube, Real Nerds Podcast. Email us at realnerds at gmail.com. Call us at 720-6nerds5. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill, Mike at Plan 9 Studios, and Bologna for all of our groovy theme songs. And that's how you fucking do it.